0: Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for February 24th, 2021, the last week of February. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I am here with my jovial co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Rundown.
1: It's great to be here, Tom. I'm glad that we can run down the week's news.
0: Yeah, it looks a little bit light. We've got some fun stories we're going to try to bring up and maybe have a little discussion around. But you know how the news goes. Some days it's a lot. Some days eh, it's, a, it's a little less. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump into our very first story, which is about Starlink. Now, we've talked about Starlink quite a bit on the uh, the show quite uh, recently because they've been putting a lot more satellites in orbit. But that's not the only thing that they're doing because the next time your phone rings, it could be Elon Musk. Well, It could actually be Elon Musk providing the ability for your phone to ring because Starlink provided or filed a plan with the US government to start offering phone service for customers this last week. The details show that Starlink is looking to be designated as an eligible to telecommunications carrier for the purposes of providing broadband. In some of the states where they've won funding, but they need to have a change in the way that they're designated in order to be able to provide that service. So, in order to be able to be designated to provide that service, they actually have to offer people phone service. This would also allow them to provide emergency backup phone service through the government's Lifeline program, which is a potential lucrative source of funding. Speaking of which, Stephen, we have talked in the past about how Elon Musk seems to be very good at finding ways to get the government's money to underwrite his uh, pet projects. Is that where we're kind of going with this? Or do you really think people are gonna wanna try to use a VoIP service over a satellite system?
1: Well, I think it's the former. Um, I think he's looking for some more of that sweet, sweet government funding. And uh, frankly, I don't blame him. I mean, if you could, uh, if you had a business that was uh, eligible to get some money from uh, some government source, uh, why wouldn't you? Um, At the same time, honestly, it's a uh, practical, potential uh, use case as well for the service. I think it's important to remember that Starlink is not like other satellite uh, internet systems in that it has much, much lower latency because the satellites are literally closer to the earth and there's more of them. And they communicate between each other with fricking lasers at uh, faster than fiber optic speeds. So frankly, the uh, potential here is that this system could work um, on the other hand, uh, looks to me like essentially, you know, the Starlink went out, got some, uh, you know, government broad- broadband uh, funding, and now they're looking for some uh, government telephone funding. Um, what else are they going to look for? I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's more government money out there that they can use.
0: Yeah, and I will admit that uh, with the decline in the number of people who are actually using house phone over their mobile numbers, it's kind of ironic that, that Elon Musk is jumping into a market that nobody wants to be in. Uh, the, the companies that still provide home phone service, like your cable company or your provider that wants to get in on the television side of things, they're really only doing it because they have to, because it has to be an option that you can take advantage of. This might be good for some people. The, the most The majority of people who are using Starlink are looking to use it anywhere. The ones who live way out in the boonies and probably couldn't get service any other way. I just don't know that this is going to be the game-changing payment service, electric car, commercial rocket, satellite internet thing that Elon hopes that it's going to be. But if it means that the U.S. government's going to cut him a big check, I mean, more power to you, Mr. Musk
1: indeed more sweet sweet dogecoin that he can buy so uh speaking of such uh which we're not going to um infrastructure monitoring company science logic is in the news with a fresh round of funding uh, the company is rolling out an ai ops integration in their platform uh, meaning leveraging ai for enterprise uh, analyzing data and providing enhanced statistics about the state of an enterprise's devices uh, the AI ops functionality enhances their existing monitoring and learning platform and looks to be uh, to focus on the future. Um, Tom, uh, you recently wrote about ScienceLogic, and of course, I've uh, also been very interested in AI ops for the Utilizing AI podcast and our AI Field Day. Um, is this funding round a big deal uh, for their AI-driven plans, and does it show that the AI market is improving?
0: Yeah, I really think that this does, because when you look at a lot of the vendors who are out there that are trying to provide infrastructure monitoring, it's very passive. It's very much collecting data from systems and kind of warehousing it somewhere. And if they're doing anything, they're, they're kind of giving you a little bit of machine learning that they're, they're tweaking on top of it to surface, you know, like, oh, it looks like your hard drive is about to go out or something like that this is something much more important uh, the briefing that i got from the science logic people uh you know there's not a lot of ai ops on their website or at least there wasn't a, a month or so ago but they're really really diving into this things like you know customizable uh, dynamic alert thresholds and the ability to dynamically map your entire network infrastructure uh, based on you know i'm going to discover a device and then find everything that's connected to it and classify those things these are the things your operations teams really like um, in fact uh, if there wasn't a pandemic going on, I would highly recommend that you, you head down to the, the Ops Center and just hug your operations people because Lord knows there are probably overworked as it is. And given the turmoil that's going on with networking monitoring vendors as of late, I think that this is a really big opportunity for science to kind of grow their base and to kind of to double down on this AI ops functionality because that's a big buzzword that a lot of people have been really um, touting. But I, based on what I've seen, I really think that they're they're doing a really great job of it.
1: Yeah, indeed. I mean, I think it's easy to dismiss uh, AI ops as just a buzzword. I don't think that's what you were doing, Tom, but I think that people do that sometimes. But at the same time, um, you know, it's it's useful. Uh, one of the things that came out of the utilizing AI podcast is it seems like there's no area of enterprise IT that isn't being touched by machine learning uh, specifically. And frankly, um, using AI to help weed through tons and tons of data is a really good use of the technology. So, frankly, I'm not surprised. And uh, I'm actually pleased to see that ScienceLogic is headed in this direction. I mean, this is a company that I've uh, respected for a while, and I- I'm glad to see that they're going there.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic to see where that is. And if you'd like to read the article that I wrote about some of ScienceLogic's new capabilities, make sure you head over to gestaltit.com and you can check that out. Um, Steven, Pure Storage has announced some updates to their signature storage platforms, FlashArray and FlashBlade. Uh, This includes more fiber channel and FlashBlade and SMB support in the FlashArray. Is this just trying to put storage in more places to help grow Pure's customer base? Or is there something interesting going on here that we're not seeing?
1: Yeah, I think that the interesting thing is that uh, this is pure being pure. Uh, you know, this is a company that um, from the very beginning has aimed at the the fattest part of the enterprise storage market, and they're continuing to do that. So on the flash array side, um, yeah, you know, I mean, using more uh, fiber channel seems kind of backwards. Like, aren't we over fiber channel? But the truth is, we're not. And, um, you know, they're doing NVMe over fiber channel. Turns out uh, NVMe over fiber channel makes a lot of sense, uh, maybe even more sense than uh, RDMA over converged Ethernet or Rocky, which is what they had been previously using. Um, so that's cool. But I think the more interesting thing to me is uh, what they're doing on the FlashBlade side. Because this was, um, you know, I don't want to say it's a, a product in search of a, of a problem, but it was more of a niche product than uh, than their Flash Array. Um, when they first came out with it, effectively it was a massively scalable NFS server. And um, okay, you know, what are, what's the application for that? It's not a um, you know competitor for you know the the, the file workgroup file server market. Um, over time, they have shown that there is a market for that. Frankly, uh, there's a lot of applications out there that need a lot of uh, NFS or object storage data. By adding SMB support, even, uh, you know, this is initial support, by doing that, essentially they're adding um, capability in uh, in more areas. And it's gonna attract specifically packs and, um, you know, imaging applications that use SMB as their preferred protocol instead of NFS. Now this may sound like a lot of mumbo jumbo, but here, let me boil it down for you. You know, this is a, a system that now can be used by you know, another big chunk of, you know, heavy data use in the enterprise. And um, that's good, right? So, you know, it's pretty cool. One more thing that I'm gonna call out there is that buried in this announcement on the flash array side is a capability that allows them to freeze snapshots and make them um, impervious to ransomware. Now that's cool. Essentially, they uh, have this capability. You can nominate a snapshot and say like, look, save this one. Don't let anything happen to it. And not only can the uh, regular APIs and interfaces not let anything happen to it, it's locked. Like even pure storage's uh, systems administrators can't you know, wipe that snapshot out or change the content of that. That's pretty cool. I kind of like that. So yeah, um, is it super amazing news? No. Is it useful stuff that they're adding to their platforms that will make it more broadly applicable? Yeah, is that good? Yeah, isn't it nice to see a company that's like making stuff instead of just like,
0: I don't know, talking about blockchain all day? I completely agree with you because it turns out that rather than trying to sell people something they really have a hard time justifying a use case for, if you just give them features that would come in really handy, they're more likely to buy your product. And yes, I will admit in a press release, seeing things like SMB and immutable snapshots is not like groundbreaking news but I promise you it's gonna move some boxes. And there are a lot of companies in the last three or four months that really wish they had some kind of a capability to uh, go back to a snapshot that hasn't been corrupted by some deviously evil malware. Indeed, that's true. So Tom, another company that
1: you and I spoke with uh, last week is Xilinx. Uh, They're moving into the SmartNIC model or market. Uh, They've announced a new faster offering, the SN1000. Uh, This card offloads network and storage processing from the host CPU to a cluster of cheaper processors to accelerate IO performance, just like the DPU or, you know, all those other kind of cards out there from uh, competing companies. Uh, The SN1000 supports up to 100 gigabit Ethernet, and it has a 16-core ARM CPU and, of course, this is Xilinx FPGA support. So Tom, how does the Xilinx offering stack up to the Titans like uh, you know Nvidia and Intel, Pensando, Nebulon, all the
0: rest? You know, when you look at the fact that Xilinx is being acquired by AMD, you're you're seeing why right here. I mean, this is eventually going to become a very big race amongst you know the the chip manufacturers. They're they're going to start using these uh, cards because. We've we've seen this shift away from very specific hardware like um, ASICs and uh, and things of that nature to uh, general purpose CPUs. I mean, Intel basically pioneered it with with DPDK. So now I can just drop an x86 CPU into my devices and I can build software that runs on top of it. That that drove SDN. The problem is is that doing that with an Intel processor is expensive, but not in the forking over cash part but the, you're tying up a very important resource for something it really wasn't designed for. It'd be like delivering pizzas in a Lamborghini. Does it work? Yeah. Is that the best use of that car? Absolutely not. So these FPGA-based NICs are a compromise. They're programmable, and Xilinx, like you said, is big into FPGAs. And they the daughter card processors all run on ARM, so they're inexpensive. They're, they're easy to, to seed through, uh, a system and you, know, you can drop one or two in there and they can accelerate all kinds of different things. Like you said, um, we've talked a lot to companies that are not just doing it with uh, smart NICs, but also with data processing units, DPUs, um, and they're combining storage and networking offload. And, you know, it kind of makes you scratch your head because, you know, storage and networking is, is it's like chocolate and peanut butter. Well, it turns out they they do go really well together because if the IO is leaving the server anyway, it doesn't matter whether it's storage traffic or networking traffic, it's headed somewhere and probably needs to get there as fast as possible. And so that's what these people are banking on. They're hoping that you're going to stop buying gigantic server class CPUs for these devices and instead buy lots of smart NICs with a healthy markup and use those to accelerate specific workloads and then save the general purpose CPU to do heavy lifting on things that are more difficult to classify.
1: Yeah, it really is interesting to see where companies are going with these things. Um, so this Xilinx product, absolutely. I mean, it competes with the Intel um, FPGA uh, offload SmartNIC. Um, you know, we've got, you know, like we, saw, we talked about Pensando. Um, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Intel. I mean, they've got one with a Xeon on it. Um, you know, we talked with NVIDIA, um, you know, they're doing some really cool stuff in the DPU space uh, with Mellanox technology. So, you know, this whole world of, um, you know, <laughs> offload engines, offload processors, um, you know, it's really interesting. And, and before our listeners say, you know, we've been hearing about you know, NICs with offloads on them for a long time. This is different. These are general purpose CPUs with a lot of RAM and a lot of capability, and they can do a lot of things. I mean, we're talking about running containers or running virtual machines on these things. We're talking about, uh, you know, FPGAs that you can, you know, configure to do almost any task that you need them to do. Um, This is some pretty cool stuff here. So I think maybe it's time to wake up and uh, take a look at the smart NIC market.
0: Yeah, this is not your traditional smart NIC that has like transmission optimized Ethernet and goes a little bit faster so you can have a killer ping time in your online games. These are enterprise class devices that are designed to do enterprise class things. So you definitely want to make sure that you check that out. And I have an episode of Conversations that talks all about data processing units. If you want to head over to the website, uh, youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo, you can find it in our conversation series. Um, Simon, there were a couple of stories that popped up this week that we wanted to take a little bit of a closer look at. And ironically enough, the first one is about blockchain, but not in the way that you're thinking. Um, malware is getting more and more creative. And that shows through because researchers have been keeping their eyes on a specific botnet for the last couple of years. And they found that it has stayed up and been a lot more resilient than it really should have been because of blockchain. It's using the blockchain to recover itself when the command and control servers for this botnet are taken offline. Well, how is it doing that? Well, it has a backup plan. Anytime that it loses the communications for the command and control servers, it looks at a specific Bitcoin wallet that has had some transactions made to it. And because the attackers are using the smallest tradable amount of Bitcoin called a Satoshi, they're able to set a value in that wallet that can then be deconstructed into the IP address of the next command and control server. And it's only costing them around 25 cents to do this. Um, The problem though, is these researchers were finally able to figure this out. And it turns out that if it only costs you 25 cents to change that to the new command and control server, all I gotta do is pop down $10 and I can completely muck up their wallet and it's going to cost them a, a little bit more to start doing that now that, that folks are, are aware of this. But here's the thing that I'm thinking of, Stephen, as we we're looking through the story, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it because you're, you're a lot more uh, adept at blockchain than me. Because the nature of blockchain makes it an immutable ledger, does this mean we're going to run into problems where people are going to start hiding values in blockchain transactions a la st- steganography? And then that means that we're never going to be able to get rid of this stuff?
1: Well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, uh, we already have, no kidding, child porn in the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, We already have amusing and less amusing messages in the Bitcoin blockchain. And now we have uh, encoded command and control uh, for uh, botnet in the blockchain. Um, Once it's in there, you can't get it out. Um, And that's kind of by design. Uh, so, yeah, but that being said, um, honestly, this is really no different than some of the steganography stuff that we saw previously with uh, some of this malware. I mean, there was a case where um, there was a command and control was hidden inside an image uploaded to like photo bucket or something like that. I mean, there's been um, all sorts of other places that people have included stuff. Um, this is pretty clever, but as you rightly point out, um, you know you can disrupt it by just sending some random amount of Bitcoin to the to the uh, wallet uh, in order to address it. But actually, that that actually brings up an interesting thought in my head, and that is that in many places it's illegal to fund a terrorist or criminal organization, and if you're sending like legit bitcoin even just a few satoshis to a the wallet of a ransomware group aren't you funding an illegal operation
0: um i think a judge might be willing to accept that but isn't that what's going on there Well, that's funny because that's one of the things that kind of tripped up some companies that were getting infected by malware late last year. Um, When it's a nation state that is the one who's infecting you and there's an embargo that does not allow you to send payments to a nation state, you have to get permission from the U.S. Treasury Department in order to be able to unlock your malware. And that's actually what happened in the Garmin case. They actually had to petition the U.S. Treasury Department. But yeah, you're right. I mean, okay, you're only sending it one Satoshi, which is like, uh, whatever the current value of Bitcoin is, you you can look up the math on that. I I don't know that you're going to get sent to jail for doing it, but someone might make a point to point out that you're doing something you're not supposed to. Um, I don't necessarily know that blockchain is gonna be the way that they're gonna do it going forward because there are much cheaper, better, much less detectable ways to do this. Uh, You you brought up some of the other steganography. I think my favorite one was uh, people leaving completely random comments on Britney Spears' Instagram profile and that actually contained information on where to find stuff, Um, way cheaper. And uh, does anybody really pay attention to the comments anyway? So, you know, here's hoping that security researchers continue to stay on top of this stuff because wrecking botnets is something we really all should be looking at doing. And just because they're getting creative with how they stay up doesn't mean we can't get creative with how to take them down.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, to think about this, that, um, you know, blocking this stuff could mean could be as simple as just blocking access to the, you know, uh, servers that are hosting this, uh, you know, stuff, so it can't see them anymore. Also, the researchers in this case did find another way to kind of, you know, black hole this thing. But um, I wonder if in the future, what happens if blockchain mania um, means that we have a universal blockchain that is unblockable and um, by design? I mean, what if we want an unblockable blockchain? so that we can share, you know, information in a secure fashion and a immutable fashion. Does that mean that it will be used for ill? I think that's a pretty good chance. I mean, any technology is going to find some evil use of it. And uh, frankly, this is one. So I'm not super surprised uh, that they're doing this. Um, it's clever. Uh, it's, it's especially clever the way that they did it. But, um, you know, I guess we'll find out, um, I wouldn't get too excited and I think it's, fa- it's, it's uh, unfair to make this a, a Bitcoin story or even a blockchain story. This is a clever malware story and that's about it. So kind of turning the pages to another topic that we've been talking about a lot. And before you turn off, yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, so SolarWinds, um, whose uh, name was dragged through the mud uh, thanks to the recent uh, hacking situation SolarWinds is going to have their day in Washington, along with FireEye and Microsoft and others. Uh, The company at the center of a massive hacking story is going to testify between a Senate panel about how nation-state hackers were able to breach their development systems and infect government agencies for data exfiltration. Uh, The hearings are expected to take uh, several days, but the main narrative so far appears to be that no one can really know the scope of the attack because no one is required to disclose the evidence of the attack of the company unless some sensitive data was involved. Um, Tom, we're hearing about this mess a lot, uh, continually. Um, Are the Senate hearings going to change things much, or is this going to make companies more accountable?
0: You know, it's funny that we always hear about this. You know, there needs to be a hearing about this. We need to get to the bottom of this. And half the time, we don't ever get to the bottom of it because people either misremember or choose not to uh, reply to the question or worse, answer the question that wasn't asked. Um, but I think that what we're really starting to see here, because th- this is a common theme among companies like Microsoft and SolarWinds, that we really don't know who got breached, because unless there were certain things that were, that were required to be notified by law, those companies are really starting to keep quiet. And I don't know if it's because they're embarrassed. I mean, when you look at the extent of where people were able to get with Microsoft... I mean, they got source code for a lot of things. So that speaks a lot to some internal control issues. Uh, There was a story that came out uh, on Tuesday that said that NASA was one of the targets, which I think was more for optics than anything else because if you're smart enough to launch a rocket, you're smart enough to not need to hack in the way that they did. So I think ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to have a whole bunch of old people who don't know anything about technology asking the wrong questions of the wrong people. Because as much as you love grilling CEOs in Washington, they don't know what's going on. They're not the ones who are on the ground. And we're going to start seeing more and more of a trickle of companies that are coming out and finally being forced to admit, oh yeah, we got hacked. Or, well, we think that that might be the case. And, and even then, we're starting to see a lot of companies that are immediately announcing if there's a problem, this was not SolarWinds. This, we, we, this was not that thing. Because it's now the, the boogeyman of, you know, well, you got hacked, it must have obviously been this. I don't know that there's going to be any more accountability than we've seen from everyone else who's been hauled in front of Congress over the last year. I think ultimately what this is, is about scoring points with people. This is about making a public spectacle, which is not going to motivate people to fix things any faster. And it realistically speaking, kind of lets the the people that were behind this attack know that they scored some points because you don't get hauled in front of Congress for a parking ticket.
1: Yeah, I, I worry a little bit that these uh, hearings are going to be even less useful than the GameStop <laughs> Robinhood hearings in terms of uh, you know what's really going to happen here. Uh, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of um, Understanding of the complex issues involved among uh, folks in Congress, and you know, one can hardly blame them; uh, they're not experts on this stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, we need to to get some accountability here. Um, you know, personally, uh, I think you know Solar Winds was negligent in letting this attack occur. Um, at least that's how it looks from here. And I'm hoping that the company has learned a valuable lesson and uh, will do a better job. But frankly, uh, they were no more negligent than thousands and thousands and thousands of other companies. And uh, I don't want to play a game of whataboutism here, but uh, truth be told, the amazing spread of ransomware of, uh, you know, in network intrusions of, you know, data exfiltration of data drops and data dumps and you know, uh, GDPR, you know, (laughs) failures. And I mean, it just shows that uh, companies are just not doing a good job of this. They're not prioritizing it. They're not funding it. They're not supporting the people that are fighting it to the extent that they need to be. And I think that that's a real scandal. So to my mind, that's the scandal. The scandal is that companies aren't doing enough to secure this stuff. And, you know, I mean, if if, uh, if everybody's leaving their house unlocked, um, you know, you, you can feel bad for them when their house gets robbed. But also you have to start saying, look, you know, we've got to do something about this. We've got to be a, doing a better job of it as an industry. And, um, you know, we've got to start funding these uh, organizations, you know, security uh, uh, organizations within the IT department better so that we can make sure that these things are addressed, um, you know. It's, it's really amazing. And frankly, that may actually be a result. So yeah, I'm not super excited about what the Senate is going to have to say about the SolarWinds hack. Um, But I am super excited for a bunch of CEOs to see a bunch of CEOs dragged in front of the Senate to have their day in of infamy, and maybe say, you know, I don't want that to be me maybe what i should do is go talk to the the guy down in network security and say hey how do we keep this from being us next time and that would be a good result wouldn't it i mean I, i'd be happy to see that happen
0: yeah i think that maybe a little bit of uh, i don't want that to be me syndrome is a good way to spur this kind of thing even if it's just executives that are asking the right questions how do we know that this didn't happen to us how could we prevent it from happening in the future What do we need to do to stop this? Now, here's the important part for all the CEOs that are listening, because I know there are a bunch out there. When the person that you're asking those questions to gives you answers, whether or not you want to hear them, you need to listen. Because if the answer is, we already have a handle on this and we have everything that we need and there's no problems, you're going to be a happy person. But if you hear, we don't know, and we are going to have to spend a lot of money to find out, you're going to get angry because how could you not know? But the fact that they were willing to tell you that they're not there yet means they want to be. And you need to be ready to make that happen because you'd much rather hear something you don't like from a person that works for you than hear something you don't like from a person in front of a camera in Washington who you can't control. All right, well, that will just about do it for this episode of Gestalt IT Rundown. Thank you very much for joining us. You can see us every week on uh, Wednesdays at 1230 Eastern time. Uh, we are here on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. We also have a post that goes up on our website at gestaltit.com with show notes and links to all the stories that we talked about. You can also find us on uh, Anchor FM if you wanna listen to the rundown as you're going out for your uh, weekly or hopefully daily jog, uh, to get some exercise, we're, uh, we're here to tell you all the great news stories that are going on. Um, Stephen, what are some of the cool things that you're working on right now? Well, I'm watching Mars
1: Perseverance, for one thing. They're sending back some uh, really cool images and video from, uh, from Mars. And uh, also, I'll note that uh, there are now more Linux computers on Mars than there are Windows computers. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, I'm also going to be watching Networking Field Day all this week. Uh, I think you might have something to say about that. And of course, I'm preparing for Cloud Field Day. Uh, a couple weeks from now, we've got our uh, next Cloud Field Day event. We've got a bunch of great companies there, and I've been, uh, you know, doing a lot of planning and talking to a lot of the delegates and the companies and making sure everything's looking good. Um, of course, I'm also working really hard on my Utilizing AI podcast. So if anyone wants uh, is interested in practical applications of AI, you know, we talked about that a little bit here. Uh, you know, you can find us in your favorite podcast application. The podcast is called Just Utilizing AI. And I'd love to uh, have you listen in. We post a new episode every Tuesday morning.
0: Yep, I'm going to be uh, up to my eyeballs and networking fill day. As fact, as you're watching this through the uh, magic of TV, I'm, I'm going to be uh, dealing with a lot of the great networking companies that we have. Uh, speaking for the rest of this week if you want to find out more about who they are head over to techfieldday.com click on the link for networking field day you can follow along live you can see the lineup um you know maybe you have some great questions that you want to pose to those companies Uh, there are a lot of great ways to interact with us there and make sure you pay attention to gestaltit.com because in the uh days and weeks after the event we'll be publishing uh you know our analysis and reactions to the, the stories that we've seen And, uh, you know, maybe we'll clue you into an exciting new technology that you should definitely be paying attention to. Um, But that won't get in the way of the rundown because we will definitely be back back next week with more great stories from the IT enterprise news world and uh, maybe a little bit of fun things here and there. So for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett and the rest of the folks here at Gestalt IT, we want to thank you very much for watching this episode and remember to have a super sparkly day. Bye, everybody.